Today, we're talking with Kevin Wheeler, who is an entrepreneur, futurist, advisor to several recruitment and learning startup companies, tech geek, CEO, and founder of Global Learning Resources, the Future of Talent Institute, and the Australasian Talent Conference. Kevin is focused on analytics, human resources, recruitment, and learning. We'll discuss how Kevin views the future of recruiting talent, both from an organization and worker perspective. You can improve both your organization and your own work satisfaction in your career if you understand how to prepare for the future of work. So let's begin. Hello there. How are you, Kevin? Oh, good morning, Jeff. I'm great. Good, good. Well, Kevin, you've been thinking about the recruiting and work experience for a long time. Can you describe the challenge and the opportunity to redesign talent recruitment work? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously uh, we live in a, an era where almost everything is changing, primarily because of the technology that we now have uh, embedded in pretty much everything we do, including recruiting. You know, and more and more the tools of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, national la natural language processing, and so forth have, have changed the nature of both work and recruiting. And, uh, you know, I think over the last 20 years, uh, recruiters have really spent most of their time uh, looking manually, primarily, for uh, expert talent. That's really how I define it. People who are uh, skilled in a particular focused area such as engineering or coding or whatever it might be. But I think that's about to change. And I think there's a lot of things on the horizon that are indicating to me, at least, that that focus is probably misplaced and we need to think about things in a little bit different way. Great. Um... Now, you developed a quadrant as a way to understand work op opportunities. Maybe you can explain that to us. Yeah, I, I think that um, we need to think quite a bit differently about recruiting and about what's the role that automation and AI is going to play in recruiting. Uh, and I think the, the challenge today is, you know, where should a recruiter focus their energy, time, and effort uh, over the next, you know, five years or so, what's going to shift and what's going to change? And if you really look at the kinds of people that we're recruiting, uh, we're usually looking at four broad groups that I categorize candidates into. They're either the people who do transactional kinds of work. Uh, they're experts. The the people specifically skilled in, a, in an area such as engineering or coding. You've got the sort of broader based uh, people that I sort of call communicators who um, build networks and collaborate. Uh, and then you've got the innovators, which are the people that are really the inventors, the, uh, the people who come up with new products, who keep whatever company they're part of alive and well because of the nature of the things that they come up with. So you really look work in those four areas. And if you think about it in a grid, a, a two by two box, so to speak, and you think about the lower left-hand corner, 
Uh, this is a corner where individuals perform work that's fairly routine. Uh, these are the transaction kind of jobs. These are people, many people, probably the majority of the workforce fits into this category that do fairly routine and follow procedures and rules that are pretty carefully laid out. Uh, they don't have a lot of discretion to, you know, make a decision about something. It's pretty much laid out for them. And while they have skills, they're, they're very limited in the nature of the kind of work that they do. So these are receptionists, legal clerks, anyone who processes paperwork of any kind, uh, legal assistants. These kind of people kind of fit this individual work that's relatively routine box. And more and more, we will see this box automated. Much of the work will be taken over by AI. And whatever work isn't taken over by AI will be heavily augmented by AI. So both the people will be, there'll be a need for far fewer people doing this kind of work, probably virtually none at some point in the future, and uh, a lot more technology involved. If we move to the lower right-hand box, this is where we probably spend 80% of our recruiting dollars probably where we spend most of our time, uh, hiring experts, people who do highly skilled, uh, vertically deep kinds of activities. Uh, where they, they make a lot of judgments in their work. They have to make decisions. Uh, they're reliant on their expertise and experience to guide them in what they do. And it's you know pretty important in people in this box uh, are really uh, high performers, really stars, ideally. Um, obviously, this is the box that most companies heavily depend on to get work done. This is your engineers, your software developers, your coders. These are any of the people who actually you know, make products come out the other end of the door uh, through their judgment and their skill. Uh, uh, this requires interpretation and judgment as opposed to routine following of orders. So these people are expected to make decisions. And, you know, this is, so you're probably asking me, so why wouldn't we spend all of our effort here? Isn't that 80% about right? And I'd say, you know, maybe it is today, but I don't think it will be uh, in a few more years. I think more and more computers are going to be able to mm -hmm. answer the kinds of questions that we have. They're going to have the skill that these people currently have. They're going to have the expertise and the experience vastly greater than any person individually today could have. And they're going to be doing probably 70% of the work that these experts do today. So it doesn't mean we won't need experts. We're just going to need a lot fewer of them. And probably more of them will be hired as consultants or contractors as opposed to full-time employees. And technology will help us to find these people and will help us to hire the best people and will help us to do all the administrative work involved, keeping these people uh, happy and effective. So those, those, those kind of take the bottom of our two-by-two two grid. Right. And That's very useful. So recruiter, pardon me, Jeff? That's very useful. Very useful distinction. Please continue. I think as we also look at the upper left-hand box, 
This is our box at the top of this where it's more team-based work, where it is still potentially routine, but it's very team-oriented. This is where you need good communication skills, really good interpersonal relation skills. Uh, this is where you're going to have to make decisions when things are vague or unclear. And this is where you're going to need some creative thinking and creative solutions to, to problems. And this is probably an area where we're going to need to spend a lot more time recruiting people that have these skills. These are, in many ways, in my mind, the skills of the future. Uh, rather than what we've honored for the last hundred years, which is high skill, deep knowledge, vertical uh, depth, I right. think we're going to start to much more focus on people that have uh, great interpersonal relationships who are good team players, who are much more comfortable in uh, discussions, creative debates, who can uh, make decisions when things aren't really clear. They can deal with the vague or the um, uh, subjective better. Uh, and these are the people that we're probably going to be focusing a lot more effort on hiring and putting into companies. And maybe where recruiters should be shifting a lot more of their attention uh, and effort to looking at these kinds of people, because they're really going to probably be the core uh, workforce of the mid-21st century. Um, I think the skills of influencing, uh, coordinating, uh, connecting people are really going to be the most important skills, working globally well, across culture. Kevin, let's yeah. stay with that because, as you know, we're both communicators and we're we're both immersed in collaboration and communication. And so, wouldn't AI uh, really enhance the effectiveness of these communicator collaborator people, both in terms of the tool of helping to project manage and create consensus, et cetera, but also in uh, improving the intelligence that these communicators have with their, say, augmented assistants that can help them both understand the areas of expertise that they are coordinating, but also the, improve the processes that they're working with. So wouldn't AI have a great role to play in enhancing the effectiveness of these communicators? Well, I think it has a role. There's no doubt about that. And I think it can provide a ton of information it can mm -hmm. sort through a lot of variables and, and give you some options, but it's still going to be up to a human to make a final decision. And right. I think we, we, try to, we try to give AI too much um, uh, uh, credibility, I guess the right word is. You know, AI is very, very good at doing anything that involves mathematics, computation, uh, focused, uh, in-depth knowledge looking at x-rays and looking for disease, analyzing right. blood samples. In those things, AI is absolutely phenomenal at doing and will get better and better over the next few years. I think where AI has got a long way to go is understanding human emotions, being able to deal with uh, vague situations that don't have any clear outcome or don't have the, a good or uh, an ethically acceptable outcome, let's say. Yes. This is where we're going to require the knowledge that people have. So AI will certainly help this quadrant immensely. 
but it's not going to be as comprehensive a solution as it will be for the expert box. So if I could reframe this in, in, in a way, uh, what I'm hearing is that emotional intelligence, which kind of encompasses some of what you're talking about, will have a much higher market value in terms of people's career and, and what the market will value than it has in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I think we've always given the second shift, so to speak, to EQ, to the touchy-feely uh, people. Uh, and, 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 still, and we've put the, all the power in the hands of the experts. And while that's been a very good strategy for the 20th century, which was a century of problem-solving and manufacturing and, and overcoming uh, scientific barriers, uh, I think it's much less apropos to an era where we're dealing with very complex cultural, political uh, situations where we're dealing with influencing people. Uh, right. This is, these are very different set of skills that computers are not uh, well equipped to deal with. And in the, the last box, the top right-hand box, the box of the innovators, this is where AI plays very little role. This is where uh, this is where the Elon Musks, the Steve Jobs, the Richard Bransons, the Albert Einsteins come from. These are the people where nobody predicted when they were 20 or 25 years old that they were going to change the world, but they ended up doing that to a large degree. They've got eclectic, really non-traditional skill sets. Um, they've got uh, behavior patterns that many people would find bizarre or unusual. Uh, these are the people that provide the creativity, that come up with the great ideas, that, that, that keep organizations alive, that create organizations, that see things in the emerging and are able to grab onto those things and, and put them into some sort of a structure that, that makes them commercially viable, like Steve Jobs in the computer or Elon Musk with an electric car or, or Richard Branson with you know, air transport and so forth. So you've got, you've got people who see things before other people do, who have a very unique set of skills that AI is probably never going to be able to have. The mavericks, the innovators, and incredibly important people, and probably people that kind of appear rather than being found. Um, these are the people that are willing to experiment and fail, pick up pieces and try again and again. And these are the kind of people that our current organizational structures more or less reject. Uh, these are the people that don't fit into traditional um, organizational thinking models. Um, and yet these are the people that will clearly be the, the shapers of tomorrow. Uh, and we need to find a way to uh, perhaps uh, help them uh, nurture themselves. Uh, I think the startup community. Uh, some of the entrepreneurship of the last decade has, has helped many of these people, has also weeded out uh, those who thought they had these skills and didn't have them. Uh, they're not common, and it is probably the only way we're going to filter these people out is through the entrepreneurial process. Uh, that's clearly uh, obvious in Silicon Valley right. and other places right. where there's more failures than successes. 
So we've well, got a very new ecosystem here. This is fascinating. You know, you, you and I are familiar with many of the same players, and one of the distinctions of our, uh, of our uh, guru, our, uh, the person who is our mentor, Doug Engelbart, uh, and his ilk, um, the Vint Cerfs of the world, these are inventors uh, who were engine, who are engineers, but took engineering to a much higher level in terms of prototyping, et cetera. And then you had the innovators like Steve Jobs who took, or Bill Gates who took Engelbart's ideas and in, uh, inventions and created innovation. Do you see that as a distinction and how that, how would that fit into this quadrant of those who are engineers with great expertise, but they become, they either stay as inventors and have a larger vision like Engelbart did, but Engelbart was not able to commercialize that vision. And it seems in Silicon Valley, a lot of people are very good at commercializing inventors' ideas. I think Doug is a perfect example of the innovator box. Uh -huh. He is the guy who really sees the future, lays out the blueprint for the future, but they're not necessarily the people who execute, right? Right. Uh, right. I think that, you know, my box, my box is obviously simplistic and, you know, and very, very, uh, you know, not everybody fits into one of those four boxes. I think the people like Bill Gates and them, they cross the, the expert box and the innovator box. They sit somewhere in the middle of that. Right. Maybe they right. sit right in the middle between that and the communicator and team builder because I don't think you can be a leader unless you can build a team and keep that team going through great communication. Right. So these are people that straddle three of the four boxes at least. Um, yeah. yeah, they're able to some level of expertise, although Steve Jobs and Richard Branson, for example, had almost no expertise, but they have the ability to lead a team and build a great team. And actually my definition of leadership is the ability to build and maintain a team that performs better than the competition. Um, and I look at the Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, and that's exactly what they did. So they're people that fit almost into the innovate, into the, uh, uh, into the uh, collaborator communication box, but they straddle three of the boxes. And I think we're going to find a lot of people who straddle a couple of these boxes. And I think from recruiters' perspective, it's important to think about when you're working with a hiring manager to put up, put together a rack and go look for somebody is to have that conversation. You know, what box are they in or what boxes do they straddle and where do we need to be looking for these people? And maybe exactly. I need an expert, but I need somebody who's actually much better at communication and influence. Right. right? Um, so where do we so, put our effort? And that's a conversation. So it's an alchemy. It's an alchemy of, of these or a maybe, uh, you know, a three-dimensional rather than a two-dimensional box. And I think you've provided great, a great tool, uh, uh, Kevin, for this. Now, we've been talking about this from the recruiter standpoint. Let's, let's talk about this from the future of work, the worker standpoint, the person who uh, may be in any of those quadrants but aspires to improve their uh, satisfaction at work, improve uh, working on stuff that matters to them, maybe improve their autonomy and, and improve their mastery. Uh, so how do you see work changing with the methods you propose 
or the way uh, a worker will be working in a in a way that will be more engaging, which I know you're concerned about, and a way of being uh, of creating value but not being measured on pure productivity. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think the the future of work is going to be incredibly different than today. As if you look at what I outlined in my quadrants, um, the routine worker, the people that we normally run into when we go to a company or do almost anything, the people you, the people we most commonly interact with are those transactional people. And imagine a world where they're mostly gone, where you're going to enter uh, uh, an office, let's say, if they if they exist in some form as they do today, which may not be, but assume they do. Uh, you're going to probably be greeted with a robot or technology and rather than a person. Um, you know, paperwork and so forth is going to be more and more done without human contact, which is already happening. Uh, you can, you know, renew your insurance. You can get questions answered on your credit card. Uh, and you're either talking to a, a chatbot slash robot or you're interacting online with a computer program. You're not more and more. You're not talking to a person. Uh, and that's going to continue to uh, mobile. So first of all, the nature of work is going to change from that perspective. You're not going to have all those people that you normally have interacted with that ran out and bought your sandwich or you know answered your phone. They're going to be gone. Uh, they're going to be doing other things. Then you've got your your experts, and you're going to have a lot fewer of these you know super egghead experts walking around um, uh, writing code. You know, code is becoming more and more automated itself. So you're going to have fewer of those people in an organization. So what that means is work is going to become uh, smaller, fewer people, smaller organizations. And the real focus is going to be on those people that can communicate, influence, sell. Uh, Work is part of a team because more and more work is going to be done in teams as opposed to being performed by individuals. So if I'm a potential employee, employee of the future, I think my focus should be on getting really good communication skills, really good cross-cultural skills, really good influencing skills, really good skills at being a team, a team player. Those are going to be the most important skills. It doesn't mean you don't study math and science, but they're less important than they are today. Rather than being at the, uh, the center point or the pinnacle of study, they're more routine and ordinary. And where the pinnacle comes is how good of a communicator are you? How good are you at influencing people? How good are you at at, uh, getting people to understand your ideas? Uh, How well do you work together with other people in terms of collaboration and sharing? Uh, So if you look at an organization of 2050, I think you're going to find a company that's much smaller, a few experts. Mostly, if they're deep experts, they're going to be not regular employees, they're going to be consultants or contractors. You're going to see a large number of people who are communicators, innovators, uh, uh, team team players. They're going to be solving problems, which is probably the core skill of the future. Problem solving when you don't have all the data you need to have, because a lot of our 21st century problems are going to be problems that don't have an answer already. So we're going to have to figure that out means a collaboration between a lot of people, including some of those people in the innovator box. So the company's going to look completely different, I think. Uh, and, you know, we'll still have people doing sales, 
Yeah, we'll still have people doing the human resources kinds of functions. We're just going to have a lot of people in communications, but it's going to be done in a very different and less routine way, and more as part of teams that are solving problems. Well, you've articulated succinctly and uh, profoundly the characteristics and skills that may be more important, Kevin. So if I'm working with students, as you know I do, or with um, coaching people, what advice do you give how to better prepare themselves for these skills? And secondly, how to actually, let's say on their LinkedIn profile, how do they broadcast these things? Uh, how do they let the recruiters or the team, the people who are looking for collaborators know that they have these skills? So one, what do they do to prepare themselves better, assuming these characteristics are the ones that uh, the market is valuing? And two, how do they let the market know that they have these skills and these experiences? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think if if I were a student in university today, and let's assume I'm not studying engineering or one of the technologies, and I'll talk about them in a minute, but let's assume I'm studying one of the so-called liberal arts or general areas of, of uh, study. I think then it would be to really uh, get myself involved in situations where I have to work in teams or groups, where I have to exchange and debate ideas, uh, where I have to maybe write uh, papers that are uh, critical and have analytic capabilities in them, uh, where you may have uh, taking some courses in decision making or really have practice and demonstrate that you've been in situations where you had to build, uh, had to make tough decisions. Uh, I think I'd try to live culturally uh, in some diverse place, travel, learn another language, uh, work across cultures. Uh, show that I was able to do that successfully. Uh, show that I've tackled some challenge that was truly uh, out of my wheelhouse, out of my comfort zone, and have been successful at doing that. For example, moving to another country and being successful there. So I think that the, the things to demonstrate are communication skills, collaboration skills, teamwork skills, cross-cultural skills. Any of those things are going to become the more important things to have experience in, to demonstrate that you've done them, and that you also, of course, have some level of basic uh, knowledge and skill. If you're one of the people studying to be an engineer or a software kind of person today, I think almost the same advice applies. That's important. Yes, that will remain important. Those things aren't going to disappear. But it's going to be fewer people that are going to get hired doing them. And the people that have the most opportunity are going to be the ones that also have these other skills. So if you're an engineer or a software developer and you're also good at collaboration, you're also a good team player, and you also have some you know, cross-cultural skill and multiple, multiple language skill, those are going to be really helpful for you getting your, your next job or your first job. Uh, those who just have the technical expertise that have the incredible, you know, PhD level depth, I think are going to find uh, fewer opportunities uh, and it's going to become increasingly challenging for them to compete with AI because AI is going to have right. a ton of those skills that, that they're, you know, difficult, getting with great difficulty today themselves. 
So Kevin, imagine that you are um, addressing a young person who is in their 20s or early 30s, has some work experience, and you are going to advise them on how to um, use their LinkedIn or whatever platform they use to uh, broadcast themselves so that people can find them. Um, would you advise them to have videos? Would you advise them to have recommendations from people that are suggesting that they can do these kinds of things? What specifics can somebody who is building that, um, that brand for themselves, let's say, their reputation that's going to be online, what, what do you advise them to utilize both in terms of written and video and audio, as well as aspects of the LinkedIn profile that might be more important that people are underutilizing? Yeah, I would say, you know, video is, is great. It's done appropriately and demonstrates uh, good communication skills. I mm -hmm. would say writing articles or posting something like that online shows their communication skills. Mm -hmm. I would say demonstrating or showing by experience, putting listing under their experience categories, things they have done. For example, I worked across cultures. I speak another language. Um, I was part of some group that solved a problem. Uh, those are going to be things that they can demonstrate that in the past they have successfully done things that either involved other cultures, that involved teamwork, that involved uh, creative decision making, that involved building relationships. So I think those things would be really helpful. So if you said, I, I worked with the homeless in, for three years, I, uh, I developed a plan to uh, you know, help the homeless people get more education. I'm just using a very narrow sure. example sure. here. But something like that. I, was, I, you know, I challenged myself. I come from an upper middle class family. I never thought about being homeless or poor. I went out and met these people, I challenged myself, I connected with them, I built a relationship with them, I, I helped them to, to, to move to another place or contributed to a team of people who were doing that. Something like that would be powerful. Um, if that was, if you could put a video of that on there, um, that would be great. Um, but I think video has to be carefully done. It can't just be a video saying, hey, I'm great. Uh, yeah. It's gotta be more of a video about accomplishments video about uh you know here here is what i was doing um you know have a third party film view or something like that um the most important thing i think for uh people who are the recruiters who are deciding about people that are going to fit in these straddling a couple of boxes is going to be you know what is the depth and breadth of their other interactions besides academics. Right. You know, what have they done? How, how else have they contributed? Uh, and how have they been involved in these more softer skill areas? Now, Kevin, how do you feel about uh, joining best practices groups, communities of interest, uh, attending trade shows, that uh, somebody who is looking to either enter a field or transfer to a field and they have let's say they've looked up Kevin Wheeler and seen that you're engaged with two or three uh, best practices group and they join those best practices group and then they'll look at somebody else and see other best practices group and they actually contribute 
not just become passive members, but actually get involved in the dialogues and become active members of best practices groups and also show up at trade shows. Does that count? Is that useful? Yeah, I think so. I mean, having attended a trade show or meeting with people in the profession, uh, I think it's always good to do that. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the bottom line for me, if I were looking at a profile, is how much have they done that was not simply academic? Mm -hmm. How much of it involved involving myself in the community, whether it's a community of practice or, or the community in general? Uh, how much have they contributed in terms of conversation, discussion? Were they just a, a wallflower? Or did they actually take part in challenging and influencing? Um, and even with engineers, I often watch these uh, where they have these robotic a team of young engineering students develop a robot. And when you watch them in the video, who really does what? You know, how, how well do they work together as a team? Who are the people who uh, say, let's try this or let's try that? Who are the people who try to be creative in solving a problem they have? Uh, those are the kind of people I'm looking for. Those are the kind of video that would be great to have on your LinkedIn profile. That's great, Kevin. Well, Kevin, this has been a terrific conversation. I thank you so much. Uh, and I know you're a great mentor. You're a great teacher and uh, that you have contributed a great deal to others' success and um, are a great speaker at conferences. And I encourage people to continue to follow uh, Kevin Wheeler. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Jeff.